You're listening to 100 Words or Less with Ray Harkins. What's up, everybody? How are you doing this fine afternoon, evening, day, whenever it is you're listening to it? Thank you for listening to the podcast, above all, because, uh, you know, there's many things you could be doing, but you are deciding to spend an hour of your time with uh, me and our special guest, who this week is Madison Watkins. She's the bass player for metallic, hardcore, metalcore, whatever you want to call them, Uh, you know, stalwarts. Well, no, stalwarts, doesn't that mean you've been around for a long time? Anyways, Year of the Knife. They're an amazing metallic hardcore band. This is their second full length that they just released called Internal Incarceration, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, there we go. Just doing a little internet referencing, but it just came out last week and uh, it's it's a doozy. It's really, really, really good. Kurt Ballou produced it and uh, you know he gets great tones. So uh, I had to have Madison on because I saw the band for the first time at Sound and Fury, which we talk about at the very beginning. Um, and I just, I was really impressed with them. I like what they do. I think that they are taking the whole, you know, mid 90s metalcore vibe, but, uh, you know, putting a little more death metal influence in it. And uh, it's just really, really good. And uh, they're straight edge, and I love it. So Madison and I get into it, but uh, let's, let's check in with you, the listener. You're doing okay, hopefully. Um, man, it's uh, each week they're, is just, and I know this sounds like a broken record, but each week it seems like, uh, you know, more and more things stack up to where it's really, really hard to see the good from the, uh, the bad. Uh, fortunately for me, I'm going to go ahead and be, be selfish here, but, uh, my wife has passed another, uh, you know, checkpoint in regards to some tests and everything. Uh, for those of you that have been listening to the show for a long time, know that uh, my wife has been battling cancer for many years. She's been in the clear now for about four years, and uh, it's really, really, really special when we get these, uh, you know, moments of victory where it's like, cool, we don't have to worry about that right now. And um, yeah, I just always appreciate you, the listener, for checking in on me. Uh, You can always email the show 100wordspodcast at gmail.com or, you know, all the social media profiles in which you do. But uh, I really, really genuinely appreciate that. So some good news amidst this uh, this this onslaught of bad news, but um, and uh, yeah, I, I just want to dive into this conversation because it's so good. Okay, so like I said, check out their newest full length that just came out, Internal Incarceration. You can find a link to it in the show notes, and um, yeah, let's dive in with Madison. <laughs> I mean, I've only seen you guys once. Uh, I mean, even though I know you've played Chain Reaction, which is like my, you know, local backyard venue. But I saw oh, you. Cool. Yeah, I saw Lucky. you. At, yes, it's a beautiful spot. <laughs> um, I saw you at uh, Sound and Fury for the first time. And oh, cool. I, yeah, I was. And so I think it was, was that last year? I don't know. I mean, time yeah. collapses. Okay, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, that was last year. We actually, we went out to Sound and Fury. Um, that was right before we did the Summer Pure Noise Tour. Yes, And right. we drove out played Sound and Fury and then just like hung out in LA for a week and started the tour. That's good. That's, that's the way to do start tours, right? Just, just yeah. chill, just chill in <laughs> California and then be like, all right, let's do Have this. Have some time off. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, and so, you know, I mean, I, I like I said, I, I was already uh, interested in watching you guys and then you played and, you know, I, I very much enjoyed it. Um, and I'm sure I am not the first person to be able to uh, say this, but it's like there are, um, you know, obviously a lot of uh, mid 90s influences that exist within your band. And I'm sure everyone is just like, oh, yeah, uh, you know, you guys are pretty much like disembodied. Uh, you know, you got a girl bassist and, uh, <laughs> you know, like, oh. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, is it one of those things where you, you know, you're, I presume, on one hand, uh, flattered by the fact that you could be compared to a band like that, but then also like, oh, is really the only reason that you're comparing us to a band like that is because we are heavy and uh, I play bass in the band? Is that like, is that like the lo lowest hanging fruit you're comparing it to? <laughs> or do you just like, or like, whatever, it's fine? Um, honestly, I mean, we, ha I have heard disembodied before, but we don't get that a ton. Uh, I think that sometimes people will hear one person say, oh, this band sounds like this. And then people just latch onto it. So it's like, we all love kickback and like, it's definitely an inspiration, but I wouldn't say that our band sounds exactly like kickback. And I think people saw like one person say like, oh, you're the nice sounds like kickback. And that was kind of like a crazy, like every single person was saying it for a little bit. Um, as far as like, being compared to other female musicians, I think that that comparison is a lot heavier for female vocalists. Like, I think a lot of times for a while, all of my friends that sang for bands that were girls, like they were like, Oh, this band sounds like punch. And it's like <laughs> the vocalist of punch has a very, very distinct vocal style. Yep. And these girls sounded literally nothing like her. And I was just like, it was like for fans of punch. And I was like, for fans of girls and bands, I guess is what they're trying to say. Right. It's a, uh, so I, I don't get it too much. Um, and Tara is an awesome basis. So that is flattering if anybody wants to make that comparison. But yeah, yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying. And it does. It's it, it's like you you understand it on one hand and then I'm sure you get frustrated on the other hand, where, like you said, there are so many distinctions within the uh sound of bands and music and the way people express themselves that, yeah. uh, you know, the, whatever the common denominator of, uh, you know, a gender being thrown on it. It's like, well, that's not an apt comparison. Like <laughs> we just happen to have this. It doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. And I think like you said, it's like low hanging fruit. It's like people that don't do the research or don't really take time to listen to the sound of a band. Uh, I think when people make comparisons based on gender, that's pretty much all they're doing. Sure. Yeah, no, it's a very good point. Because I mean, especially too, uh, you know, this exists less and less as, uh, you know, music journalism becomes more, uh, you know, nicheified because there isn't this like, um, you know, massive uh, culture moving website that, you know, covers uh, metal and hardcore or whatever, that mm. be more people are familiar with your stuff as they go into speaking with you or, you know, your fellow bandmates. Uh, so there's less of that, like, I mean, even though you get it all the time where it's like, oh, you know, what does year of the knife mean? Like, you know, there's oh, yeah. <laughs> hopefully a little more intelligent questions that exist now <laughs> as opposed to, you know, the cut and paste interviews that uh, existed so many years ago. What is up with that? Everyone like it's like a lot of people ask us the same few questions like, how did you get the name? How did you guys meet? what inspired the band. I mean, right. I understand like that might be something they're curious about, but it's funny when those questions have been answered like 4,000 times. Sure. And, and I mean, especially with the advent of the internet, like once everybody has kind of answered those questions 10 to 15 times over, you don't really need to like pick apart that scab anymore. It's like, right. Yeah. We've it's already not bled. like decades ago where it's like in the, like in a zine and you can't, you know, there's not like an archive for zines that you can search for. Now it's like a simple Google search. Right. We'll bring yeah. up 
pretty much anything about the band you want to know about. Totally. Yeah, yeah. We, we have a thing called Wikipedia that is able to <laughs> really, really... And it, it's funny, too, because I also find the... Uh, you know, when you are or, you know, when I'm preparing for these chats with people, uh, there are times where uh, I find it bizarre when I can't find interv- information about people. <laughs> Just like, mm, wait, what, right. the, what the heck? Like, usually Mysterious. I can kind of, yeah, like, <laughs> and I'm like, maybe maybe this person's being cagey on the Internet and they don't want to talk about <laughs> this. But, yeah, um, kind of putting the focus on you as a person. Uh, you know, I know you were born and raised in uh, Delaware and clearly that's where you still reside. Um, it is. My my only personal experience in Delaware, I think I played one show there. Um, I, and I cannot recall the venue, but uh, I was on tour with. Was uh, it the Harmony Grange? Oh man, this was like early. <laughs> this was like early two thousand. So like we were on. Uh, my band was on tour with This Day Forward and uh, The Rise, and uh, I just can't remember the venue. But it was one of those things where most people look at Delaware and are just like, I mean, it's like the Wayne's World joke, you know? I'm in Delaware, <laughs> like you know, there's there's nothing. Um, that like screams, uh, you know, any sort of like cultural significance. And of course I'm, you know, painting with a very broad brush here. Um, mm. But what, you know, growing up, your experience with, uh, you know, Delaware uh, was, you know, what? Fill in the blank. Like, what, <laughs> you know, t- t- talk to me about that. <laughs> I think a lot of people, especially touring bands, uh, when they talk about Delaware. So we used to have a venue called The Grange, which is where I'm assuming that you played um, in Wilmington. And there used to be a bunch of crazy shows there when we were younger. But then when the venue closed down, it's just been like really, really difficult to find venues. Um, But there's a kid named uh, James Austin and he books like, oh, hold on one second. I think the, are you still there? I am. Yes. (laughs) Haha. Sorry. Skype call. Um, Yeah. There's this kid named James and he books some shows in Wilmington, but it's like, we all trying to kind of get back to like where it was when we were younger, where there were shows every weekend in Delaware. But like you said, most bands that pass through, they're like, I passed through Delaware to play a toll or like, oh, I heard you guys have beaches. But it's like that's kind of the extent of what they know about Delaware. Um, For me, it was like I went to an art school for middle school and high school uh, in Wilmington. And a lot of people from my school were like, I can't wait to leave Delaware. I can't wait to move to New York. I can't wait to move to Philly. Like, I just have to get out of here. And I think that people that are from Delaware either have this like need inside them to leave like they feel like it's the worst place or they're like I really like it so I don't know it's it's one of those things where it's like when you were younger maybe you felt like there wasn't like a ton to do here but I actually really love living in Delaware because it's close to like it's close to Philly it's close to DC it's close to Baltimore it's close to New York but you don't have to like live in the city and then the cost of living is like a lot cheaper so it's like I probably wouldn't be able to afford a house I definitely wouldn't be able to afford a house and you know, New York or something like that. But, um, you know, a lot of my friends are here, my family's here. So I actually really loved living in Delaware. Yeah, no, that's cool. I mean, I, I appreciate the, uh, you know, description of that. Cause I do think that there is a, you know, people ultimately run into the idea of the quality of life and quality of living where it's like, Hey, yeah. do I need to be at this? Like, you know, do I need to be in Manhattan in order to be happy? It's like, well, no, I could just live like close-ish to it. Like, I don't right. Need it's that. like anytime you want to go, it's not far. Like it's really centrally located. Um, and personally, like I love going to the city, but I love not living in the city. <laughs> like, right. I like being able to, to find parking easily. And it's one of those things too, with touring, it's like a lot of the places that I would want to visit, were able to hit on tour. So it's kind of nice to have like a more chill home base. 
Right. Yeah. Suburban life is not bad. I mean, Descendants obviously sung about it for many, many songs. (laughs) (laughs) They knew what they were talking about. Exactly. Um, And so what was your family structure like as you were growing up, like mom and dad in the house, brothers and sisters? What did it look like? Uh, I was actually an only child until I was 11. (laughs) And then uh, my brother was born. Um, My parents split when I was super young and I actually grew up with my grandparents for like I don't know, the first several years of my life and then uh, lived with my mom and my brother's dad for a while. Um, but I had like a super tight relationship with my grandparents. And uh, Was this your grandparents on your mother's or your father's side? My mother's side. My uh, dad's family actually lives in California. I don't know them very well. Okay. Got yeah. It. And so do, I presume kind of, so it sounds like you had a much tighter relationship with, uh, I guess, your mom and your mom's side of the family rather than your father? Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Accurate. Accurate. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The, I'm sure that was, I mean, being 11 and then all of a sudden having another sibling on the scene, like that must've been, uh, uh, I guess, uh, an adjustment. uh, Interesting. Like, I mean, (laughs) because I presume too, you also had to help with kind of the, the childcare in some respects. Yes, I did. My brother's cool. It's, it's funny being, you know, he's uh, 17 now. So it's funny, like being so far apart in age and like seeing him grow up and now seeing him be like an actual functioning person. Right. Yeah. You're like, I, I remember when I was changing <laughs> your diaper. Like <laughs> exactly. And it's like, it's funny. Cause like they always joke, like uh, if you're at that age, it's like a built-in babysitter. Um, and it, it's funny now, like now that he is like in his late teens, like I can't even think about a lot of the time that he was really little. <laughs> But then on the other hand, it's like I think about him being tiny and like how is he old enough to drive? Right. <laughs> totally. Yeah. <laughs> it's very like, bizarre. Right. Because you, yeah, you not only did you provide the, like you said, the built in sort of babysit, babysitting functions and childcare. And then it's just weird. I mean, in the same way that, you know, I mean, I have an nine year old son and it's just weird to look at him as a being because it's just like, dude, like, you know, you still take showers with me. Like, but then at the same time, <laughs> like you're also an independent in these respects. And yeah, it's just a, it, it time does kind of collapse in and on itself where, uh, you know, it, if you're, if you're viewing it through the prism of somebody else's life growing up. Right. Yeah. It's, it's very, very strange. Yeah. Um, it, and I guess kind of on that, did you, um, you know, kind of, uh, take to that sort of, you know, a babysitter, like a, you know, motherly role, or was that something that you <laughs> were like, uh, I'm doing this, but I don't necessarily enjoy it. Yeah, I don't know. My my mom always told me that I had an old soul and that I was kind of, I don't know how to ex- explain it, but I feel like I was kind of forced to grow up when I was younger. So going into that role and like, it didn't feel strange to me. Right. Um, and I feel like that's the type of person I am in life too, is I, I kind of try to care or help people sometimes more than even myself. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's it. the function of some people are, you know, either by the circumstances that they're given or it's kind of just hardwired predisposed within them to be like, oh, I want to I, I just want to take care and be nurturing. And that, you know, right. male, male, female, it doesn't matter. Like sometimes it's just hardwired. Yeah. Yeah. I think that definitely is something that was like somehow programmed into me. <laughs> yeah. 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 
Um, it's also really cool that you had a tight relationship with your grandparents because I think a lot of people don't have, they have the experience of visiting their grandparents, you know, maybe a couple times a year and they're those weird old people that live in a, you know, smelly house or whatever. Like they just, <laughs> you know, it's like a level of disconnect that many kids have, but clearly you didn't have that experience because you were living with them and you were, you know, <laughs> you were being parented by them. Yeah. I'm, I'm super grateful for my grandparents and, uh, both of them have since passed away, you know, a few years ago, which I still struggle with all the time. But the time that I have with them and just the way that they raised me, I'll forever be grateful for that. They were just two of like the best people you can imagine. That's awesome. And then having that that multi-generational experience too is uh, I think really valuable because sometimes you only view the world through, uh, you know, maybe your parents' eyes and then you see like, oh, like, my parents' parents think a little differently than my parents. Right. And yeah. I absolutely think that that definitely impacts the way that you grow up. And I think that other people that I've talked to that were, you know, raised by their grandparents or live with their grandparents have a similar experience. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I agree. I definitely, I mean, my, my parents were divorced when I was about four and my, mm-hmm. uh, my grandparents were on my mom's side were very influential to me in a similar fashion and helped raise, I didn't live with them, but they were like, they were literally next door. And just like you, I wouldn't trade that experience for everything, for anything because of that sort of, uh, you know, multi-generational experience. It's just, yeah. it's, and you're right. Not everybody gets to have that. And, um, you know, I, I didn't have that on my dad's side. So it's like, I know that the relationship I have with my grandparents is something to to be cherished and to be thankful for because, you know, not everybody even gets to meet their grandparents. It's true. Yeah, for sure. And so what kind of kid did you, uh, you know, find yourself being, like you mentioned, you, you know, the uh, description of being an old soul, um, you know, uh, <laughs> were you kind of like, uh, and some people use this description, like, you know, oh, I was born 40 or whatever, where you, you just have <laughs> kind of a, um, you know, like you're maybe not as like silly as your peers, uh, or like you said, you kind of just have this, this level of responsibility where it's just like, oh yeah, like, you know, I'm 11, but you know, and I'm a kid, but like, I'm not into all these other kids stuff. Um, you know, where, what was it like for you? I think I was like a super weird kid. I don't even know. Sure. Um, my grandparents house had like this big woods behind it and my best friend growing up, um, she was like super girly, girly and I loved like pastel and pink and purple stuff but I also loved like going and playing in the mud and trying to catch tadpoles (laughs) so it's like uh my closest friend thought that was like super weird when I was little and I feel like I always felt most at peace when I was younger when I was like outside just like in nature um and then on the flip side of that I would spend a lot of time just like watching cartoons and playing video games um and like I, I definitely had friends growing up and friends in school, uh, but I I enjoy I still do enjoy like alone time. Sure, like it's a uh, it, it sounds to me the way you're describing it. It's like you um, you know you had these dual worlds that uh, you know sometimes people didn't understand because of the idea that like oh you're either an outdoor kid or you know you're an indoor kid like. Right. And it wasn't so much that like the, the old soul thing was something that my mom said, but not something that I ever like really felt old, um, or really felt like, you know, childish things or like not something that interests me. Cause I, I still am interested in childish things, Sure, but, uh, I think there's like a dichotomy that 
a lot of people try to like box people's personalities into one thing. And I think that most people are pretty multifaceted and doesn't really make sense to only have one interest or one sort of personality. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's also kind of inherent of a kid experience as well. Like you aren't uh, mature enough or have the vocabulary to describe why you like what you like. You just get drawn to it and it's instinctual. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Which is why I think it's so weird when people try to like shut their kids off of certain things that they're interested in. Like if a boy was interested in playing with dolls, like I played with action figures and nobody was like, you should play with Barbies instead. Oh, for sure. I think that you should just like let kids explore whatever they want to do. Yeah. I I wholeheartedly agree. And it is, you saying that just triggered a memory in myself. Like I remember there was like these neighbors I had, um, you know, and uh, a a girl was like maybe two or three years older than me. And she liked to dress like a cowboy. And she (laughs) then, I remember one day she was like, Hey, you know, like put this on. And basically it was like, you know, sort of like a cowgirl outfit. And I remember putting it on and being like, Hey, this is pretty sick. Like, look at these, you know, ruffles or whatever. (laughs) And, but I remember her little brother being kind of like, why are you wearing that? And I was just like, I don't know. Cause we're playing and right. you know, I mean, it wasn't, it was just a fleeting moment. It wasn't anything that like impacted me, but the fact that I remember right. it now to your point is like, yeah, just imagine if someone came up to you and was like, Oh no, here play with this Madison. Like this is, right, silly. Right. This is boy stuff or whatever. It's strange. And it's like the same thing that you were saying, like uh, one year for Halloween, I was like really obsessed with Peter Pan. And my mom was like, do you want to be Tinkerbell? And I was like, no, I want to be captain hook. And she was like, awesome. So she like, made me a captain hook costume. That's great. And um, it's hilarious because my husband and I are the same age and he has a picture of him. He, his sisters, like all of his sister and his cousin went as, um, I think they all dressed up as Tinkerbell. So it's like almost the same year. He was dressed up as Tinkerbell to match his cousin and sister. And I was dressed up as Captain Hook. So good. Like when we were little kids. So bizarre. More mortal enemies. <laughs> <laughs> you you would have oh had to God. fight each other on the street. <laughs> Um, and it also just kind of, you know, from other interviews that, uh, you know, I've read or or listened to of you, uh, you know, it seems like you always kind of gravitated towards art at large. Um, you know, was, uh, was school one of those things that you, um, I mean, clearly you cared about because, you know, you graduated college and kind of did all that sort of Mm. stuff, but you know, how, uh, you know, how were your studies, Madison? Oh, honestly, it's funny talking about it now. I feel like I really enjoyed school. Um, and I, I think a lot of that was my grandfather. He, you know, started teaching me math at a very basic level, but he started teaching me math and teaching me history when I was really, really little. So I was always really fascinated by learning, um, and kind of a nerd in that sense. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I've always kind of been interested in learning more and, I had, you know, grandparents and parents that supported that. Um, and the art school, it was cool because I, when I was younger, I think that I did feel pressure. And even like going up into college after I went to art school, um, I did feel pressure to, well, you're, you know, you get good grades, you're really good at math, you're really good at science. Why wouldn't you be like a doctor or, you know, go into some sort of field like that? Um, but I was always, I was never like passionate about it. I actually went into college as, I, don't, I think I went in as a physical therapy major and then I switched to dietetics and then I switched to graphic design because it was like I w- went into college trying to do what I thought would make everyone happiest and then realized that they just wanted me to do what I was passionate about. Uh-huh. 
um, which I know is strange because I, I went to an art school all those years, but I really, you know, I did feel a bit of pressure to, uh, sorry if I'm rambling a bit, but I did feel a bit of pressure to go into a more like scientific field because I got good grades. Sure. Because, um, yeah, because, right. And first of all, never apologize for rambling because clearly that's what podcasts <laughs> are about. Um, but yeah, no, I understand where it's like, if you are have a proclivity for a thing that doesn't necessarily match up with your interests, you kind of, it's like, well, dude, you're good at you this You feel like thing. you're wasting it. Yeah. Right. yeah. And like, it's yeah. like, but I'm just not happy doing like, I thought that I would be happy because I, I do like helping people. And I thought, you know, maybe I could go in and do, do like be a nutritionist or a dietitian for like kids. Um, but it's like one of those things where it's like, even if that was something that I would have enjoyed or been good at, I don't think that it's something that I would have felt like super fulfilled or like the way that I feel about doing art and playing music. Like, I don't think it would ring as true for me as those things do. Sure. Sure. Yeah. It, it makes total sense. Cause there are, you know, sometimes, I mean, you see this with, you know, band life where there are times in which, uh, you know, a person that isn't, you know, uh, kind of good quote unquote at being, you know, like the business person of the band, you know, gets kind of thrust into that. And then like, they're like, dude, I don't want to do this. <laughs> it's like, just cause I yeah. sing for the band doesn't mean that like, I should be the business person. Come on. Right. And everybody has like different strengths, um, to that effect. And I think that I definitely jumped into that just because I do that for like our own business. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I, I think about long-term, like, all of the different things, like all the different courses I take and all of the different things that I learned helped me to be where I am now to know kind of different facets of it. Like if I hadn't ended up doing marketing on top of doing um, design, like I think that I would be a bit behind in like, I don't know, just like promoting the band, promoting our store and stuff like that. I think that I wouldn't have as much knowledge as if I hadn't gone to college. Sure. Absolutely. You, when you are, you know, younger and kind of doing these things independently of school, you don't realize you're actually developing a muscle for, you know, like you said, right, right, right. you're just doing it. It's like, Oh, I'm booking a show. That's fine. Like people are like, wait a minute, what do you mean you booked a show like that? You know, <laughs> other 15 and 16 year olds aren't doing that typically. I am here to proselytize about rockabilia.com. First of all, use the code PC100Words. That gets you 15% off your order. You can use that as the promo code. That way, Rockabilia knows that you heard this from this show. But Rockabilia is the real deal. Independently owned business, selling so much awesome merch. They've got so many things that like I, it's hard for me to keep up. There are, you know, I check in with the site every couple of you know, days to kind of see what's happening because, you know, frankly, I order from them a decent amount. But... Uh, I just think what they do is so cool. It's all officially licensed stuff, fast shipping, and uh, you know you're gonna get a high quality garment. None of this horrific bootleg stuff that uh, you know you see out on the internet, and it just makes me really, really sad because it's not like any of the bands are getting paid for that. So please visit rockabilia.com, use the code PC100Words, fifteen percent off your order, and you will be happy and with a closet fully stocked of band merch. Okay how did you kind of start to, uh, you know, back your way into independent music? Um, you know, I'm going to presume that a lot, you know, since you didn't have any like older siblings to lean on, um, I'm going to presume it kind of just started to, you know, come into your life via other friends at school or how did it come? It's actually kind of funny. So that venue that I was talking about, the Grange was like walking distance from my house and it really was like 
every weekend almost like it would be like four to six shows a month on the weekends like Fridays and Saturdays um and I went I think that there was like we were doing a play at school and then like one of the girls was like listening to like Slipknot or something and um she was talking about like, oh, have you gone to the Grange? And this was when I was in like sixth grade. And I was like, no, I don't know what that is. And then when I found that it was by my house, I started just going there like as much as I possibly could. Like I just asked to go there every weekend. Um, and it was just like seeing, like, I feel like now with the internet, it's like you listen to the bands that, like you, you check the bands out a lot more beforehand. Like we just had like MySpace music. right? And a lot of times I would just go to see the band without knowing what they sounded like and just sit there and watch all the bands just because it was like something you do and something fun um but it's funny because most of my friends from school like were not into heavier music I just made more friends from going to the Grange so much right you were like it, it, honestly there are, I, I love that description because I I think that there are you know anybody that has toured kind of is able to spot that kid like at a venue, you know, like if it's a venue that's existed for a long time, you know, whatever your, right. ch your chain reactions or what have you, where it's like, oh, you can tell that this kid like, you know, just shows up to, you know, as many shows as possible for this particular thing. And right. it's great because they, like you said, you're just getting exposed to, it's like, well, looks like tonight I'm at a ska show. Like, okay. Like <laughs> or whatever you're, you're just, you're, you're drinking it all in because you like the experience of the, you know, independent live music stuff, as opposed to like, oh, I'm only going to this one show because I like this band. Right. 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 Yeah. And you get to like exposed to a lot more. And then if you see, that's, what's funny now is I feel like a lot of times you make friends with people on the internet before you ever meet them. But like growing up, it was like, Oh, I've seen this person at the last four shows I've been to. Maybe I'll just like walk up and talk to them. Right. Yeah. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like we need to know each other now. Yeah. I feel, I know. I was going to say, I feel like that's such a bizarre thing to do. Like even if I saw someone a bunch now, I wouldn't go up and be like, Hey, I've seen you around. Do you want to be friends? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Well, and it, it is weird too. Cause I think as you get older within this independent music scene, uh, you feel this interesting kinship with people, uh, you know, up and down the spectrum of ages where it's just like, you know, even though, uh, you know, you and I have never met, uh, it's one of those things where it's just like, I already feel like I know Madison in some capacity. Like, <laughs> and it's just that it's that weird familiarity that is only bred through, uh, you know, a, uh, and I use this term, you know, very specifically like a devotion mm -hmm. to independent music, you know? And right. Yeah, and you, you just, have that similar experience coming up through it. Right. It seems like it's like that no matter where in the country, you know, it's like every place had kind of like a staple venue and a lot of people growing up had that experience. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's, it, yeah, it, it really is incredibly special to what you're talking about because there is that, uh, you know, a, a, a parent feels safe enough for a kid to go there. And then, you know, it just kind of, uh, it, it feels safe, but at the same time, you're getting your mind blown by all this stuff. And it's like, oh man, this is setting my life up for something <laughs> completely different than anybody else that I know right, of right now. And um, so uh, what were kind of like the the sort of foundational bands within the more sort of like independent music stuff? Because, I mean, even though, you know, like you said, there was a lot of shows happening, um, you know, I presume that it was a mixture of uh, local bands and touring bands. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and it was a lot of different genres and stuff, too. So it would be like, you know, a hardcore show, a metalcore show, metal show, deathcore show, pop punk show. They had, you know, all different tours come through. Um, I think like even like Paramore like played one sure. weekend and then Tara played the next weekend. You know what I mean? It was like one of those things. Yeah, for sure. Um, but it was cool because then you, you never really got burnout out because it was, it wouldn't be the same local bands playing every single show. It was like a good variety of different types of music and different tours coming through. And then like the locals that you love to see. 
you'd get to catch them like every few shows. Sure. What were the, what were some of the bands that spoke to you earliest? Trying to think, I think from Delaware, one of the first bands that I saw that I probably saw the most when I was little was like, uh, my America's watching tiger's die, which I don't expect you to know that band. No, but I, I, love, I, <laughs> I try, I try to, you know, keep up on most random bands. So educate me. This is great. They were a band that I saw a bunch, um, locally. I'm trying to remember what like the, one of the first shows was that I saw them at, but I think that they headlined like the very first show that I went to at the Grange. Um, and then like dead and buried was like another Delaware band that like played a bunch. Um, lifeless was a band like growing up. We saw them like all the time. Sure. And then Strength for Reasons from Pennsylvania, but I would see them on shows like all the time too. Nice. And were you, um, did, did you kind of uh, immediately start to think of the notion of playing music? Cause I mean, I know that you, you know, had vocal training and you played, you know, piano as a, a you know, as a younger girl, but you know, mm. did you kind of get drawn to the idea like, Oh, I want to play in a band once you started to see this stuff. Yeah. It, it was weird. Cause like when I first started going to shows, like I don't, remember seeing any girls playing in any of the heavier bands um I think honestly one of the first female musicians that I saw I think is a, a keyboard player or something for that deathcore band Winds of Plague oh absolutely I, yep. I could be yeah I was gonna say I could be wrong but I think that was like the first time that I saw a girl like on stage at the Grange that wasn't like a pop show or like a pop punk show yep um and I never it's funny I never wanted to play like keys in a heavier band but I always thought it would be really cool to play and I I started out playing guitar I actually like learned to play bass for um for year of the knife and it's not I feel like it's not very hard to transition one if you know one or the other for sure um probably easier to transition from guitar to bass than the other way around right two less strings but, right <laughs> yeah, yeah. I kind of simplifying it down but um yeah I mean I saw I would see the bands and I would always be like oh that would be cool but it was one of those things that like growing up, it would like a girl really, really stood out if they were in a band. I feel like now there's still a little bit of that depending on like where you play or like where in the world you play. But like now it's like a nice mix of, you know, girls and guys playing in bands. For sure. Um, so yeah. it's not it's not like a bizarre thing to see, you know, a female musician, which is, you know, it shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, just the, the sheer exposure that you get, not only, you know, through whatever your local live music scene, but then, you know, the internet can clearly show you, you know, hundreds and hundreds of examples of that existing. So you can feel a little more uh, connected to that idea. Right, right. Um, and so, you know, and as you started to, you know, really kind of get into this, uh, you know, were your, you know, grandparents and your mom kind of like, what is Madison getting into? This is a little bizarre. Like, you know, how did they react to you, you know, bringing this, this, this stuff home? So my mom actually, um, she was like a DJ in college and my mom likes like punk music. And, uh, she's not super, like she likes here of the night, but she's not super into hardcore, but she thought it was cool. Cause that was like a lot of the music that she liked was like punk and alternative. Mm -hmm. Um, and I know like, it was funny. I was telling her one time, like, Oh, I'm going to go see the crow mag. She's like, Oh, I interviewed them when I was in college. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's one of those things. She never thought it was weird because she like understood it. Um, my grandparents, I'm trying to think, I don't really think they got to see like videos of year of the knife to like where we're playing now. Um, 
I think that like my extended family, when they see it, they think it's super bizarre or they just like think it's fun. Like they think moshing is funny because from the outside looking in, it's ridiculous. <laughs> you know what I mean? 100%. Um, but it's like, they think it's cool. They think they see that, you know, we're having fun and they see that it's like a, like a really positive outlet for all of us. So I don't think there's like any, even if people in our family think it's bizarre, I don't think there's anyone that like thinks that we're doing something wrong or thinks that it's like super strange. They're just like, Oh yeah. Like they play in a band. Right. Even if they don't get it, they support it. Sure. Which is cool. Right. No, that's, I I mean, it's cool that your, your mom had a context for that. Cause I think that, you know, the, (laughs) the, the disconnect that, you know, many parents have with the stuff that their kids bring home is that they can't even place it in their head. They're like, what, what? I don't, I don't even understand where this sit. Like, this doesn't even sound like music. Like, you know, they're like, they're like, why is it, why are they yelling like that over this? I feel like it'd be better if he was just singing or something. Yeah. I'll bet you, right. I'll bet you he has a really nice (laughs) voice. Why doesn't he just do that? (laughs) Or like when you tell people, like if anytime I tell someone that like has never heard of you and I like, Oh, I play in a band. They're like, you sing. I'm like, no, I, I play bass. And like, I do like backing vocals and they're like singing. I'm like, no <laughs> yeah, just loud screaming stuff you probably won't like yeah, it <laughs> don't it's don't worry about it don't look it up <laughs> totally yeah your whatever whatever your vision of me could probably be shattered pretty quickly if you look too much into it <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's not go there right then you'll look at me looking like a sweaty mess on stage and it's just not good. <laughs> um and so you know because you uh, you graduated with the uh, graphic design degree right yeah, I double majored. I did uh, advertising design and then uh, multimedia design with a focus in web. Okay, got it. And so it sounds like that that was kind of your vision of your sort of life path, career path, as it were. Did you have an idea of like, oh, yeah, I would like to you know, end up in a major city working for an advertising firm? Or what was kind of your uh, your your vision for that? You know, it's funny. I feel like I just really liked doing design. And I went when I went to art school, I actually majored in musical theater, which is funny now because they had a visual arts program but I just always felt like I wasn't good enough compared to my peers um because a lot of kids it's like from the time they were in middle school they were doing like crazy realism and like or they had already found their style when they were like so young so I didn't really get into actually doing art until I was in college um and I made I I started out at uh University of Delaware and I made like a portfolio after I was already accepted to the school to try and transfer majors um and was thinking like, I don't know if I'm good enough to even get accepted, but at least I'll try. And from there, I think that I don't even know if I had like a a specific goal or a specific, I don't think I ever wanted to work for another firm. And I remember like growing up, my grandfather said that I probably wouldn't be happy working for anyone else. Um, And I don't know if that shaped what I thought would make me happy or if he was just, you know, right from as young as I was, but my grandfather was, you know, owned his own business. And he was like, you're very like me. Like, I think that you would be better off being your own boss and, you know, pushing yourself rather than working for someone else. Sure. Um, so I think that was always my end goal, but I didn't necessarily like have like a, here's what I'm going to do to get there. Or like, I didn't have anything dreamed up of what that looked like. I was just like that, that would be a nice place to end up. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What what sort of business did your grandfather run? He was in golf. So he actually, um, I am terrible that I can't explain it, but he designed like uh, shafts and 
golf club heads. Oh, sure. And he, yeah, he did something the way that they make golf club heads. Now I know it was something that he invented. It was something with like balancing the mass so that it was like a perfect hit where like the golf club, I, don't, I really can't explain no, it. No, no, no. It's okay. It, I, was like, it was something like that, like balancing. I think he, frequency balancing or frequency matching or something like that. Got with it. golf clubs. No, that's incredible. I, I, I golfed for many, many years and still enjoyed the sport. So that's really cool that, um, you know, he had, uh, that and was able to, you know, carve that out to where you could see, because I, I presume he was a golfer as well. So like you could kind of, yeah. s- you could see the fact that he could make a living out of something he's passionate about. Right. Right. Yeah. He and my grandmother both golfed, um, and they both, you know, were super passionate about it. And I would go downstairs, my, the basement of my grandparents' house was like his office. And, um, I remember he was trying to explain to me, like, here's how you find like the perfect balance of like the center of, you know, gravity or the center of mass or whatever. And he was like, you have X, Y, and Z planes. And I was just like, I am seven years old and I have no idea what you're talking about, but I just like kind of, (laughs) I was fascinated by what he was saying, but I still like to this day, don't understand how he did what he did. Sure. Right. Hey, could I, uh, could I play with the putter and the golf ball? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, can I go to the driving range? <laughs> can we go into the woods and hit golf balls? Totally. Totally. No, that's really good. That's adorable. I just love, I love, I could like close my eyes and see that picture, uh, you know, in the basement <laughs> of you just being like, Oh, interesting. This is complex algebra. Then I don't even know that word is. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, okay. Yeah. Not even understanding like the dimension, like what he was saying on a dimensional level. I was just like letters and numbers make math. Cool. <laughs> Yeah. Perfect. Got it. Thanks, Grandpa. <laughs> um, the, you know, so as you started to, you know, kind of uh, get out in the world, um, you know, and figure out uh, what it was that you were going to do, because um, Year of the Knife started, uh, I guess, what year did you guys start playing? And like, where was that in your own spectrum of your life? Cool. What year did we start playing? This is, I feel like I remember seeing in an article that I read recently that it was 2015, but Brandon, um, you're the knife before it was like the lineup that it was now went through like a bunch of different iterations. Um, and then the last, I'm trying to think I'm literally terrible with years. We've no, been okay. the band that we have now we've had, I think for like two years. Okay. Um, but we've been playing music together since like 2015. I want to say. Got it. Got it. And it, is you're the knife kind of I guess your first uh, band experience, or did you play in you know kind of uh, terrible bands before it? I had a terrible screamo band that I will not list the name of. <laughs> oh, oh, you're bra- you're breaking my heart, Madison. That's part. That's <laughs> usually first band names are are pretty much the best of all time because even without you saying the genre of the band, you're able to immediately identify what the band sounds like. Maybe I'll tell you later, but yeah. not on the podcast. <laughs> You're like, it exists on the internet and people will make fun of me. So, <laughs> but, uh, but for actually like a real band where like we weren't just playing in somebody's like house party or garage, like Year of the Knife was the, the first band for me. Yeah, got it. Um, Which all the other guys were in a bunch of other bands before. Sure. So yeah, there was a little more, uh, I guess, experience with that in knowing how to, you know, kind of get out of the garage, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, uh, something that, uh, you know, is clearly important to, you know, you and you're the knife in general is, uh, you know, straight edge and, uh, you know, you guys have, you know, put it out there where it's like there, ha- there is a lot of connectivity, to straight edge and, you know, addiction and you guys trying to, uh, you know, get away from that. And that was like the impetus of why you became straight edge because you saw a lot of, um, you know, uh, 
issues in the fact that uh, yeah. you know, addiction is a, uh, you know, a really tough beast from that perspective. Um, you know, kind of, uh, I guess kind of walk me through the, uh, you know, the introduction of straight edge to you, just cause I, I find it so incredibly fascinating when people, um, you know, f- have different touch points for what straight edge is and means because, you know, people, you know, are of different ages and get introduced to it in different ways where it's like, oh yeah, I heard minor threat and I was straight edge. Or it's like, oh no, I saw Davey Havoc and I'm straight edge. And it's like, <laughs> so yeah, I kind of walk me through California. Yeah, <laughs> totally. totally. <laughs> Davey Havoc. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. So I think one of the things too, that I didn't really mention about Delaware, uh, there was like, when we were in high school, there was like a really, really bad heroin epidemic to the point where they were like playing in incredibly like crazy graphic videos like scare videos to be like don't ever try heroin because you will die like sure they were playing you know we had like assemblies and they had to show them at every school because it was just like every week on the news you would see like no one expected this girl that went to an all-girls catholic school that got good grades to die from a heroin overdose like it was just like a lot of kids were getting into it and um it was just like a really sad thing i think everybody like knew someone you either knew someone personally or one of your friends knew someone personally that was like on heroin uh, when we were in high school. And I think the first time that I was introduced to Straight Edge, it was definitely at the Grange. Um, it might have been one of the local bands uh, that was X in it to win it X, or it might have been a touring band that just had like straight fucking edge shirt. Sure. And like, you know what I mean? Like you hear people like singing about it. And I think like one of the singers was just like, all the kids like in the back that are drinking behind the venue, like you guys fucking suck. Like yeah. just like really, really like militant straight edge people. And I was just like, Oh, what is this about? Yep. And, um, I like growing up one of those things, like a lot of our friends were into drugs or were into drinking. Um, but it was something that I just, I don't know. You, you grow up and you see people suffer and you see people struggle with drugs and with drinking. And it's one of those things where you're like, I don't want that to be, my life. And, um, you know, the more that you learn about it, that it's a hereditary thing. Like, I think a lot of people don't understand addiction and they, uh, demonize the people that become addicted to things. Like, yes, it's a choice to start doing drugs, but people are sick when they keep using them. It's not that they want to keep using drugs or want to keep disappointing people or want to keep feeling miserable. They get caught in the cycle of it and they become addicted to it. And there's just like really no way out for them. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely yeah it's a vicious it's a vicious cycle and once you know vicious cycle slippery slope whatever you want to call it and then you know right. usually once and a person's think, in the middle of it there's no way to get out right and i think especially if you have a family history of addiction um it's not to say that if if someone in your family is an addict that you are doomed you know if you touch any sort of drugs or alcohol that that's going to be your future but for me growing up seeing that i was like i don't even want any chance of that being my future um And like growing up, I don't know, struggling with depression. I think that if you have certain things, you should, you owe it to yourself to say, is this going to be something that could become a problem in my life? Um, And is that a risk that you want to take? Or would you rather have more control over yourself and your decisions? And that's kind of what it was for me was just making the decision myself that I wanted to have a different life and a different, you know, relationship with just a different relationship with drugs and alcohol where it wasn't a part of my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And, and I, I think that, um, 
you know, as the, the movement has, you know, evolved and how it's, you know, become uh, so many different things to so many different people, um, because, you know, whatever, it's like it, people can get exposed to straight edge via, you know, uh, like mainstream television or whatever, you know? And right. Yeah. Like, some people, it's like, oh, I saw CM Punk. Like, we precisely. still get comments like that. Like, is CM Punk, you know, doing this? And it's like, that's cool. I think like any way that you can get exposed to it, because it's like, what if your town doesn't have a venue? What if you don't have like an older cousin or an older brother that like talked to you about straight edge or that like showed you cool bands? Um, I think any way that you can get exposed to it is cool because it's like, it's been such a positive thing for me and for everyone in our band. Um, that I think any way that people get exposed to it or find out about it is really cool. Yeah. It's like the, whatever touch point you have, it's like, that's, you know, incredibly important. And I mean, I, you right. know, I made the joke about Davey Havoc, but it's like, it, you know, I just remember working, uh, you know, I worked for PETA for many years and, you know, you're thrown to, uh, you know, a lot of different people with a lot of different backgrounds and experiences. And I remember talking right, to, right. A, to a kid who was like, you know, he's in his early twenties and I was in my early thirties at that time. And he was like, oh yeah, I, I, you know, oh, that's cool. You're straight edge. And I'm like, you know, it just started talking to him about it. And it's like, mm. he had no clue whatsoever about, you know, anything beyond Davey Havoc exposing him to straight edge. And like, he oh, didn't, wow. and it, it was just so interesting to see that and not be like, he's like, oh yeah, I've heard of minor threat. And it's like, that's incredible that, you're, that, <laughs> that you're, you know it, but you don't know it. Right. The inception of the thing <laughs> is, you know, you're, you know, <laughs> whatever, sing the sorrow. And it's like, that's unbelievable. But it, it's to your point, it's really cool because then that movement, uh, you know, becomes uh, fresh to this person and it doesn't seem like this totally outdated thing, you know, whatever year the knife being a straight edge band and like all these other bands that are still uh, flying that banner proudly, you know, keeps mm. it fresh for people who can, you know, year the knife can be the gateway band for a straight edge kid or whatever. Yeah, that, that would be really cool. And I know, um, there's been a couple of kids that have, have messaged us and talked to us that said that, you know, they found our music and became straight edge afterwards. And that's honestly the coolest thing to me. Right. You're like mission accomplished. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just that. And I think a lot of people that aren't straight edge, like some people have like a corny perception of it, but it's just like, for me, I don't know any way that somebody is bettering their life. It's a personal thing. It has nothing to do with anyone else. So it's like, if, if someone else wants to better their life and make a positive change, like who is anyone else to say like that it's corny or have anything to say about it? Like it has nothing to do with you. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's a person, you know, it's a person trying to make their life incrementally better by making this decision. And, you know, hopefully right. it will get them through, uh, you know, the sometimes the most tough parts of your life, you know, in high school and trying to find an identity. And, you know, when you're right. not, when you're not uh, adding a self-destructive element to it, it's like, that's incredibly positive. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> As two straight edge kids talking to each other about the <laughs> <laughs> um, so when you started to, you know, kind of tour and get out with, uh, you know, you're the knife and start to experience kind of, you know, the, the band life from that perspective, what was your, uh, relationship with, uh, touring? Did you immediately like it and take to it? Um, or was it, uh, kind of overwhelming because like you mentioned earlier, you know, you'd like your alone time as well. <laughs> and that's not, uh, that's <laughs> not possible in a touring band. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I love being on tour. I think that it really just depends if like, the people in the band's personalities mesh well. Um, and the thing is like, we've all been friends for so long. Like I've known Tyler since I was 14, uh, Brandon since I was 15 and like the twins, 
I don't even know how long, maybe like seven years now. Sure. 10 years. But you know what I mean? Like we, we've all been friends and kind of grown up together to the point where it's like, we know what to expect from each other. We know like when each person needs space or like how to make each other laugh. So I think that that's kind of like the perfect blend of when you're touring to have like a fun time on tour and uh, not butt heads so much, but I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, there's, there's certain tours I can think of that like, we were talking about this the other day. There's certain tours that I can think of that were like fucking miserable experiences or like, you know, you play a shit show or you have to like sleep on the cement somewhere or like something sure. crazy. Yep. But it's like, those are always like the funniest stories to tell later. You know what I mean? Like you, like in the moment cool. it's terrible, but right. Yep. Right. While you're experiencing it, you're like, God, this sucks. But then afterwards you're like, that's like a really good story. I can tell someone later. It's a, bo- it, and, uh, it's a bonding moment. Like when you're all experiencing that, like, we literally can't sleep in the van because it's too hot. So we have to like sleep on the roof and like, it's awful. <laughs> and then a week later you're like, dude, that was insane that we did that. It's <laughs> <laughs> literally crazy. We, there was this uh, one place in Europe, like we just like had nowhere to stay. And then like our driver would like happen to know some squat nearby. And like, we just ended up staying. <laughs> it's like abandoned fucking warehouse. Perfect. Perfect. And like, I had like tied our like money bag and like, I had like everything like literally like wrapped around my body and like tied to me so that if anybody like tried to pick it up, I would wake up. Right. No, it's just like, like, yeah, this is great. Good shit. If you you are going to steal this, you would literally have to take my body too. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, this is fine. (laughs) But it's like, you look back on it now and you're just like, that was fucking crazy. Like that was like the first time we went to Europe and we had no idea what to expect. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Right. And you you were able to, you know, take all of these experiences and, you know, that's the only reason I I asked that question is, you know, like you were kind of mentioning before we were recording, like the notion of tour, you know, sometimes people, uh, you know, especially, you know, what I like to call civilians have no idea what the hell tour is. They immediately think of a tour bus or something like that. Um, Right. Yeah. (laughs) And it's like, this is a whole different ballgame. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. So I think that the best part of tour is just getting to like see the world and, and play different places that we probably would have never gotten to go to otherwise, like with my best friends, that's really the best part of it. The, the perception that it's like, are you guys on a tour bus or like you're staying in hotels every night? That's like really funny to me. Um, but a lot of people have those expectations, like starting out. And I think too, a lot of times, like so much work goes into touring Like it really is hard work. It's so much fun, but it's also a lot of hard work. And I think a lot of people, like I would get from people, Oh, that's so cool. You basically get to go like on a vacation for a month with your husband. I was like, no, (laughs) that's not, that's not the situation, but, but it is fun. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. It's like the the way I've always explained it to people that have that notion or, you know, are like, Oh, that's cool. You get to take these, these, this time off. And it's like, well, it's not time off. No. <laughs> Have you ever tried running a small logistics company across the country? Because, yeah, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> hey, we, we ran out of merch. Where are we going to ship this to? Hey, friend in Oregon, can I ship merch to you? Oh, you're not going to be home that day? It's like, oh, my gosh. Oh, it's crazy. Or it's like, oh, the merch that was supposed to arrive in Chicago is not coming till tomorrow, and we have a 10-hour drive. Right. <laughs> like, so how, how do we reroute this? Yeah, how can we accomplish this? Yeah, for sure. It's, there's so many, so many fun things. Um, or like we, we drove to, um, when we were driving to sound and fury, like we had gotten our van for the first time that we, it was like, we hadn't rented it. It was like our van that we owned and a huge 
rock came off this truck and just like shattered our windshield. And then it was so hot outside. It was like 105. And then it was so cold in our van that the crack just like grew all the way across. Like in a matter of five minutes, it was like the entire windshield. And we were just like, oh, this is awesome. <laughs> so it was like, let's figure out how to how get our windshield this? replaced. Yep. Let's figure out. <laughs> yeah. How do we, uh, how do we repair glass? Uh, any, anyone, a glass repair person? <laughs> nope. Okay, great. Let's figure this Never out. Never a dull moment. Nope. That's for sure. Uh, two last things I want to hit on, well, you know, you, uh, you know, having the experience of obviously working in, you know, quote unquote, working in a band um, and kind of, you know, starting to experience what the business side of that would look like, you know, once you guys are just like, wait, you're paying us to play a show. This is weird. Um <laughs> And then obviously running, uh, you know, Candy Corpse as a, or do you say Candy Corpse? I, I just want to make sure yeah. I'm saying that. Okay. I just want to make sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> what the, else would it be? Yeah. Well, I want to hear the other pronunciation. Can, candy Core, uh, you know. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, it's yeah. Candy Corpse. That's what I thought. Uh, I just wanted to make sure the, uh, the, the similarities between, you know, running a small business for a band and running a small business, you know, independent of a band. Uh, I, I presume you saw the immediate crossover between the two and how, one could, uh, you know, benefit the other and vice versa. Was that, did that come apparent, I guess, pretty quickly as you started, you know, doing your own side hustle that is now your full, you know, a full-time thing for you? No, yeah, it definitely did. And I continue to learn things from both that make it, you know, make me stronger at doing whatever the other one was. Like I learned things, um, when we signed, like I learned how to like establish an LLC and like balance, our books and like do taxes and stuff like that through the band and through candy corpse. And it's like, every time I learn something for one of them, like a better bookkeeping method, um, it's a lot of boring shit, but it's, I, I learn a lot from each one of them that kind of makes it a stronger quote unquote business for both. For sure. Yeah. The disciplines that you, or the disciplines and the mistakes that you make, like from one, right. you're like, Oh, I did that wrong. Like I, I, I should have sourced this t-shirt from a different company because I paid like $2 more per unit. Or right, yeah, right. Right. Yeah. And like a lot of the connections that I have from candy corpse, like I can use those to make year of the knife merch and vice versa. Um, and it's funny cause I actually like got into pins. Um, my friend Max that used to run shop Shogun, like he had a bunch of pins and he had like Chromax pin and integrity pin. And I was like, these are so cool. Do you guys make them? And then like, he set me up with someone, um, to make pins. So it's kind of crazy that like, that's how I got into doing stuff for candy corpse. Cause candy corpse started out and I was just doing like stickers and stuff because I didn't really know, you know, doing a full run of t-shirts when you have no established audience is a dumb idea. Cause it's really expensive. Sure. Yeah. And you're going to sit on them forever, but stickers, I can move pretty quick. And then when I went into pins, um, I think I kind of went into it at like the perfect time. Cause there weren't like a ton of, um, there weren't a ton of fan art shops when I first started doing pins. Now it's like everybody's doing them. Um, but I think that pins, like now people are a little bit, like have an easier time making pins. But when I first started in it, it was like you had to have somebody recommend you or you had to like know someone to, ha- to know how to get started. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And so, yeah, they, they benefited one another. And plus, essentially, I mean, this is something that, uh, you know, most bands understand as they start to, you know, tour and get out there and having people want merchandise of them, you know, you essentially are running a a clothing line, whether you like to admit it or not. It's like, it's totally what it is, you know? 
Well, yeah. And I mean, like when you're traveling across country and you're, you know, using full tanks of gas between menus and stuff like that, if we didn't have the ability to sell merch or if people weren't interested in buying merch, like it just wouldn't happen. Right. Like venues would not be able to pay bands enough to do full tours if merch wasn't <laughs> right. in existence or yeah. as popular as it is. Right. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's always that notion of people really, uh, not caring that much about the band, but it's like, oh man, that's a sick shirt design. I'm going to, I'm going to buy that. (laughs) Right. Right. Well, and it's funny too, because I think that this happens like more in Europe than it does in America, but like, it would be funny that people would come up and be like, what band is this? And it says like, you're the knife on the front and he's like, you're the knife. And they'd be like, design is cool. I'll buy it. And you're like, all right. Right. Oh, (laughs) cool. We got a we got a record too. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Buy this too. You like vinyl? Like, oh, okay. Right. I'll take the vinyl. There's yes, (laughs) there's also music that is attached to this t-shirt as well. (laughs) Check it out. Yeah. (laughs) That this is the vehicle in which we are able to get here. (laughs) Um, It's crazy. For sure. The um you, I mean, clearly, I mean, you and your husband playing in a band, running a business, and and, you know, living together, like all of this, <laughs> most people would be like, okay, can you guys even like separate from one another? Can you like give <laughs> each other some space? I mean, it, the, and then plus like the fact that you have twins in the band, like there are so many um, things that quote unquote don't make sense, you know, <laughs> where it's right. like, oh, it's a lot going on there. Um, <laughs> and I, 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 obviously you don't agree because you enjoy the experience that you're having. Um, yeah. but I presume you can understand where people are like, okay, this is a lot, Madison. Like, are you sure you yeah. want this? <laughs> yeah, I think that for a lot of people, they're like, I can't imagine being around like my significant other that much. Um, but I mean, at the risk of sounding corny, like Brandon is also like my best friend sure. and the other guys in the band are too. So it, I'm sure some people would be like, I wouldn't want to hang out with my brother for months straight. But like the twins are like, they're each other's best friend. They get along super well. And Tyler, I've known for longer than anyone. So I feel like it's like those weird bonds that make us like stronger as a band and as friends. Yeah, no, it ma- makes sense. I mean, there, it is a unique mixture where certain bands like, uh, you know, w- when you get to know them and you understand that there's this like real, real deep rooted relationship where it's like, you know, right. a, a band tours for, uh, you know, a month and then they're like, Hey, do you guys want to go on vacation together or whatever? It's like, what? <laughs> like that's not common with most bands. Like they need that separation, but, um, yeah. Yeah, it's. And I think everybody like needs like a healthy amount of time apart. Like I don't think anybody, you know, does well being around people constantly. But I think that it's just about like respecting each other's space and knowing like when people just need to be like left alone. Um, I think that's the difference. Like I know that like some bands have kind of like an antagonizer where if somebody wants to just like be by themselves, like that person will just like bother the shit out of them. And like touring with other friends bands and stuff like that, like you see certain things that you're like, ah, I get why you guys are like fighting. Right. Yeah. You're like, <laughs> I see the, the fissures in this relationship. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's really funny. Um, and the, and the last thing I want to hit on was the, um, you know, the, the fact that, uh, most people have certain, uh, you know, perceptions and entry points to like, you know, what uh, hardcore or metal is and like, you know, uh, similar to what we were talking about initially where, you know, you're either an outdoor or an indoor kid and, mm-hmm. you know, people look at year of the knife and it's like, oh yeah, working with pure noise. Like, of course there's less, uh, quote unquote stigma about that being a hardcore band on pure noise because, you know, not only is Jake been a hardcore kid for as long as I've known him. Um, mm. but you know, the fact that, uh, 
the label was known as a, you know, sort of pop punk thing for a long time. And then obviously, you know, with Knock Loose and other bands kind of shifting into that, it made it, you know, more quote unquote comfortable uh, for people. Right, to, right. But I, I'm sure there's been projections on you guys where it's like, Oh, like, you know, you're the knife, like, Oh, you guys are, you know, like warp, warp tour, hardcore or whatever, or like, you know, that just those dispersions that get cast on bands. Like, have you guys felt that? Or is that, am I just like, you know, whatever, making up internet rumors or something like that? No, I, I think that like, there are some people that are label snobs and that, you know, if they associate like one genre of music or like one specific band with a label that they like, you know what I mean? Like people are always going to have their own opinions on things, but Honestly, from what I found, like, I feel like people care way too much about like labels and also just like genres. Like they're, everyone wants to be bash certain genres or say, oh, I'm not that I'm this when it's like so many bands are influenced by so many different things. And I think that the sound of the band should speak more than anything that it's labeled or categorized as. Um, So I, I definitely don't think you're wrong. Like, I think that that is a thing for some people, but it's not like I've never had anybody that I know, like say it to us. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I've just seen, I've seen some things online, like on YouTube, like somebody's like, Oh, I'm surprised that this band is on Paranoids, but it's like Terra's on Paranoids and Knockloose is on Paranoids. Like, you know what I mean? Like there's a lot of heavier bands. Yeah. Um, I think they do a good job of like really having like a well-rounded roster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I just always find, I mean, it is so uh, dumb and irrelevant, those conversations, but they still exist in the same way that like, you know, people for sure, I, I can tell you for a fact were, you know, it's like, oh, you're the knife on Sound and Fury or whatever. Like, oh, I don't know. I don't know about that. Like, even though you guys played and everybody obviously had fun, but th- there's that notion where it's like, oh, yes, like, you know, of course, Terror could play Sound and Fury because they <laughs> played for many years. But like, you're the knife. Like, I don't know. They seem a little bit like outsiders in a way, even though you're not, but you know what I'm saying? That kind of, uh, those conversations that go on that aren't, uh, they're not beneficial in general, but they still happen. Right. Yeah. I think like, I don't know. I think a lot of people just like worry too much about appearances and there's a lot of posturing in hardcore. There's a lot more cool shit in hardcore, but there's a lot of people posturing and trying to look cool. Sure. Um, so I, I don't know. I feel like the best thing for that is just like, focus on what you're doing with your friends and yep. if people have some shit to say, prove them wrong. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And if they're into it, then prove them right. Totally. Yeah. Keep your head down and just, just do it. Um, one last thing I promise, but the, uh, <laughs> the <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. The idea of, um, you know, kind of, uh, growing up at when I, I use that term maybe in air quotes, but like, you know, being a public figure, like, you know, uh, people pay attention to people in bands and, you know, clearly you are, you know, the face of your company from that perspective as well. You know, how have you grappled the idea? I mean, clearly there's a sliding scale here. It's not like you're, um, you know, uh, whatever, a mainstream celebrity, because obviously that's mm-hmm. not the case. But like, you know, people have you're certain... saying pers- that I'm not famous? I am no, sorry, Madison. <laughs> I apologize. I don't mean to break it to you. <laughs> but just... I'm crushed. Yes, I know. I understand. <laughs> but that notion that, you know, you are visible in ways that, you know, a, a uh, random person, you know, going to a show is, uh, you know, has a different visibility uh, and the attention that that kind of can kind of bring. Um, has that been something that's been, you know, you've had to like learn how to navigate or is that something that, like you said, you kind of just keep your head down and, um, you know, do your own thing? Honestly, I think just keep, keep my head down and do my own thing. The stuff that we do and playing music together. Um, I think it's amazing if people, you know, feel something from it and if it speaks to them 
and if it helps them through, you know, whatever sort of struggle they're going to or going through because, you know, so many hardcore bands did that for me. But I feel like the most important thing is to just stay true to yourselves and stay true to what we want to do. Um, and like not, I don't know, it's it's hard sometimes. Like it's easy to say, don't worry about what other people are saying or thinking, but I feel like you're just happier if you don't. <laughs> sure. And And I think too, there is that, level of unwanted attention once people start to, you know, view you as a, um, you know, where it's just like, oh, like, you know, I think, uh, you know, this person in this band is, you know, cute or attractive or whatever. And that's sort of like, you know, uh, I won't even call it like idol worship because that sounds really <laughs> dramatic. But you know what I'm saying? There is that, uh, you know, people get attracted to certain people and just by the sheer fact that they're in a band. And then you start right. to, you start to have to like, kind of reckon with that where it's just like, oh, well, that's not something that, you know, I am uh, not only not interested in, um, but I have to understand how, you know, that is a perception that people will have. And I have to, you know, either navigate around it or reckon with it and just be like, well, that's, you know, that's not something I have to, you know, give any attention to. I think honestly, most of my interactions with people have been really positive. Um, and just with the band in general, it was really cool. The, we went up to the uh, Black Lives Matter protest in Wilmington. I think it was last weekend, and uh, Andy had on. He was like carrying one of our Year of the Knife totes, and this kid came up and was like, "Hey, man! Like, I love that band." Blah blah blah. And we were like, "Oh, that's us." And he was like, "What? That's so cool!" <laughs> and it was like such a such a Delaware thing to happen. Um, just to like, every, like Delaware is so small. It's like everybody knows everybody, or like you run into somebody so frequently. But it's like things like that where it's positive. Like I don't think that any of us are on the level where some random person in the street's gonna like freak out to see us. <laughs> you know right, right. I mean, yeah. it's not it's not like a celebrity encounter by any means. Um, and you know, I think that people in general um, fixate still on girls in bands. Like any of you know my friends that are in bands as well. It's like if you look at their live streams or their YouTube comments, there's always people making like weird objectifying comments, or they don't even think they're objectifying, but they're just like you know, they're just like supporting them, but it's in kind of a weird way. Yeah. Um, and I think that will be there more for girls than for guys, but, um, not to say that I haven't seen it for some of our guy friends that we've toured with because people can kind of just go crazy for them. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think long story short, I think that I just always try to focus on next big project, next big thing, keep our head down next tour. Sure. More yeah. than worrying about like what people are saying or thinking. And if people support us, that's awesome. Yeah, no, no, that's a, that's a, I think a, a healthy, a healthy way to not only operate as a, you know, band person, business owner, whatever, but just in life, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and also people are so like, people can be so shitty online to each other, especially when there's like anonymity attached to it. So yeah. I think it's just best to like worry about, like that shit has real no imp like really no impact on you unless you let it. So it's like if you can focus on the shit that you can change and you can do better and you can grow, like why wouldn't you put your energy into that instead of worrying about what people say? Absolutely, for sure. It's wasted energy otherwise. Right. Well, Madison, this has been great. Thank you for uh, spending this uh, lovely morning slash afternoon with me. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much, Madison, for coming on the show. Uh, just a great, great human being, right? She just uh, so sweet, so thoughtful, and uh, yeah, just I loved having her on. So thank you very much, Madison, for making that happen. 
And uh, next week, I've got a rad discussion with a person named Adam Klopp, who performs music under the name Choir Boy. I got keyed into this record uh, via Dias Records, and uh, I just, I don't know, the... I love the record. It's so, so good. And it's funny, I actually have seen people on, uh, you know, social media and Twitter talking about how they thought that this record was going to be like a SoundCloud rapper. Uh, because, you know, the artwork is really unconventional, but uh, it is, you know, like akin to the whole like drab majesty, um, you know, ceremony, like all of that sort of, you know, really dark, post-punk, yet catchy. It's just, it's really, really good. So, uh, I had to have Adam on the show, and that's what we did. So that's what we got for next week. Until then, please be safe, everybody. <laughs>